Welcome to Art Lovers Forum. Today, I will be speaking to Doug Garr, a friend of mine who has spent 40 plus years as a journalist, editor, author, blogger, ghostwriter, and speechwriter. Doug is a guy who helped New York Governor Mario Cuomo sound so good at the mic. If that's not astonishing enough, Doug is also an active skydiver with an expert license rating of 2,200 jumps. I have to like, you know, take a deep breath when I say that because I can't even imagine doing one. One day, I will interview Doug about his life as a daredevil. Today, I want him to tell us all about his connection to art. He was married for nearly 42 years to the late Meg Perlman, a prominent art curator. Everyone in the art world knew Meg. Most knew Doug, too, because he accompanied Meg to art events around the world. Meg was the founding director of the Pollock Krasner House and Study Center in East Hampton, New York. She also worked at the Museum of Modern Art and the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Meg was the director of the James Brooks and Charlotte Parks Brooks Foundation. Meg also served as the curator of a number of important private art collections, including those of William A.M. Burden, Mrs. John D. Rockefeller III, Sandra Rockefeller Ferry, Senator and Mrs. John D. Rockefeller IV, and Pierre Noel Matisse Trust, amongst others. So let's hear about <laughs> Doug's exciting journey, because I couldn't bring a better person to this podcast. Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. You have no idea how delighted I am to speaking to you. So what was it well, like my, being married yeah. to an art aficionado? Well, I, I when I first st uh, met Meg, uh, well, I'll start with the I'll start with how uh, one of the first uh, stories when we started dating, she took me to the Museum of Modern Art and we started walking around the galleries. And the first thing that she said to me was, um, she said, "What wh what are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm looking at each picture." And he said, "Oh, well, that's how your mother took you to the Met when you were a kid." I said, <laughs> "Yeah." She said, "She said the point is you don't." go to every painting and genuflect you go to the stuff you like right away the stuff that you don't like you just don't look at it's that's what art appreciation is and that's how you learn so um we're walking through the modern and uh at one point she said to me you don't know a manet from a monet do you and i said i thought i was being clever i said well they're spelled different you know yeah i don't but they're spelled differently and uh, i the fact that she didn't just dump me right there was a miracle. And I started looking. And, uh, you know, the whole point was, you know, go to stuff you like. And uh, and that was how she started to teach me. And, and, and at that point, I, I feel like I was at, you know, in a freshman class in Art Appreciation 101. And then over the years, um, I got to not only see some of the world's great art and go to these, you know, see stuff that people would never get to see either. But I felt like I sort of passed the seminar, you know, I, I developed my own taste. And, it, at, you know, at some point I, I uh, thought I knew I knew what I was, you know, I, I had some taste. 
And Meg said to me once when we were walking through a gallery and I, you know, and, and we went home, she'd say like, well, what did you think of that artist? And I went, you know, like, oh, not much. I like this, but most of that stuff was, you know, derivative from some painter. And she said, oh, we're all of a sudden we're the Philistine now. you know. <laughs> so I had to go through, I had to go through this whole, you know, uh, educational process, but it, it was great. Uh, you know, when I tell people, you know, I basically carried Meg's briefcase, uh, but it was the greatest thrill a person could have in learning about art. You know what? I'm glad you said that to us because so many people are intimidated and they just go once and they realize it's a world that they don't know. So they stop going. What is your opinion about that? They don't. Well, you know, I think that they're intimidated. The intimidation part is sad because, uh, again, you know, you don't have to you, you don't have to like every artist, every exhibition. I, I you know, Ed, Edward Hopper is not my favorite artist. OK, I went to see the exhibition because I knew there would be three or four paintings that would speak to me and tell me why this artist was important. You know, I have my own period. Once I learned about the history of art in the 20th century and then started going back and, and going like, oh, and Cezanne and Van Gogh, they started to influence the people that became you know, uh, you know, later painters, and, and this is the beginning of modern art. You know, after a while, you start to say, oh, I get it. Or you see a painting that you fall in love with. And, you know, so I say to people to that question, you got go back again, go to a different gallery, go to a different museum, <clears throat> go, to a, go, go to the uh, bookstore at the, at, or the, uh, you know, the, the museum shop. Look through the catalogs. You might see something you like. So you can't just say, Oh, I went to this show. I, I, oh God, I, I went to this gallery. Nobody would speak to me. The galleries are designed for you to just walk through and just look. And that's what I encourage people. You know, to, you know, make you know the the greatest thrills I had were the two or three painters that I absolutely did not understand. And one day, a painting spoke to me and just lit me up. And I got so excited. And Meg would just say, "Now you got to go back and look at all the other paintings again." Right. <laughs> You know that 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 artist did, and I go, oh, right. So that there is a thrill to it that it takes work, but it takes fun work. Well, that's what I want to get to because, you know, some people will say to me, you know what, I just don't like it. Don't try to convince me. I don't know. I didn't know anything about art. I don't want to spend the time. There's lots of other things I could be doing. Whether they do it or not is another story. But, uh, you know, it's really like. The experiences when you go to these places, you meet people, you talk to people, you'll hear somebody explain something to someone else, you pick up on it. It becomes a social experience. Did you ever like feel that way about going out to all these places and traveling all over the world? It became a social part of your life that you never would have had before. Yeah, that that that's definitely true. I I mean the art is one part of it and the people that you meet that are behind the scenes or directly involved, that's what makes it even uh much more much more uh uh you know rewarding. Like, you know, when Meg started when we would go around and you know Meg would say, you know, and she didn't mean this to be arrogant or at all uh or highbrow or snobby. Because I saw the stuff, Meg would always support younger artists. She, she always looked at stuff that nobody, from from painters and sculptors that nobody ever heard of. She supported women artists before women, you know, 
and you know that that was almost unheard of early in her career and i always thought that and she'd say you know the difference between it there's there's the pretenders there's the accumulators and then there's the real collectors and i got to meet all of these people okay the pretenders were those people that walked around and they would say, well, they don't have a good eye or they have lousy taste or whatever, and they don't know it, but I would never discourage them because they go out and they, they, they support the art world. Right. So she always kept that to herself. The second one were the, 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 were, were the uh, what she called the accumulators. She'd say, now look at this person's collection. They have 25 of this person's art, and three or four are pretty good, but the the rest of them are just because the person just like you know like went went overboard and that's and she said this is fine too but that's not like a, what a real collector is has an eye and is discerning about how they want to you know build their collection i want to be a collector and she always pointed out you don't have to be a rockefeller to do that <laughs> you know you can do that on on any level within your budget and that and so when you use the word first intimidate that that makes me feel sad the other part of your question is i got to meet some of the really coolest people not all of them had great eyes but you know i I would go to these openings we would go to dinners we went to you know i I got to meet artists and and uh when i tell people you know uh you know right you know i have stories that where i met the artists young artists or you know famous artists you know Everybody from, say, John Chamberlain, the, the, who did the uh, metal sculptures from Car Body Works, uh, to uh, Gordon Mata Clark, the, uh, the surrealist uh, uh, artist that uh, sawed buildings in half in New York City. And uh, he just, there was just a show of some of his work down at the Walker Gallery down in uh, Manhattan. I went out of my way to go down there. And I looked around and I said, oh, there's a, a video of Gordon. And uh, knowing I met him was real thrilly. He died, unfortunately, of cancer, very young, and uh, but his legacy lives on. So the point is, it's not whether the artist is famous. It's not a question of whether their art goes for millions of dollars. It's a question of being the, the kind of, uh, I don't want to say connoisseur, but art lover on any level. And yeah, getting to meet these people, that was the thrill and the privilege. So you said something that, I don't have any, you know, uh, experience in, yet I've spent enough money on art that I don't want anyone to tell me that I'm not an art collector. However, everyone's experience in art is different. Um, when, you know, you talk about, you know, looking at a piece of art and understanding everything, uh, sometimes that happens and sometimes that doesn't happen. And that doesn't, you know, uh, make Elliot and I uh, feel anything different about us buying a piece of art or liking a piece of art than someone of your caliber or Meg's caliber that really looks at the piece of art and, you know, just could like, you know, give you the whole history of the world from that whatsoever on the campus or whatever or whatever is on the tapestry. So I just want people to know that everyone's experience is not an expert experience. However, it's more about getting out and hearing about all the experiences that everybody in the creative world gets involved in that I find so very thrilling. 
So, Doug, yeah, I really yeah, want to ask yeah. you, you can, you can mm -hmm. go further with what I just said, but no, no, you, know, go, you, were, go, go. you were still married to an art aficionado. What, I mean, you could have been married to anyone in this world, and yet, you know, know, you picked Meg. I mean, your life had to be different than us. Tell us what that was like. Well, you know what? Let me reverse the, I don't think I picked Meg. I think Meg picked me. Um, that's, I, <laughs> okay. I say this, Good. okay. And, and I don't know, she really like took a chance uh, and, uh, it worked out. Uh, what, you know, the, you know, I, I knew nothing about art and then I got interested in it. And then I, I realized that, you know, this was, you know, Meg was so far advanced in her career than I was ever going to be in mine that, you know, I really, I'm not trying to humble break here. I'm trying, trying to tell you that, you know, Meg was a star and a force in her, in her uh, career. And, and, you know, you reminded me of an anecdote once. There was a serious, fairly serious collector, and they were in a gallery, and the, uh, art, and the collector said to Meg, you know, I really kind of like this piece, but I don't know if I want to buy it. And he, you know, had a, you know, Meg said, well, <laughs> here's what you do. You tell the gallerist that you want this on, on approval. And he goes, what do you mean? He said, you take it home and you put it on your living room wall or on your bedroom wall and you leave it, leave it there for two weeks. If you don't wake up every day and still love it the way you do when you're looking at it in the gallery, you send it back. She, he said, you really could do this? And he said, yeah, yeah, that, that people do this all the time. You know, but think about now what I'm getting at here is the absorption in the piece. Do I, you know, maybe, you know, I don't understand it, but I'm going to go back and look at it and this and that. And it really, it, it doesn't matter, you know, whether it's a Matisse, a, a, a Miro, a Picasso or some lesser uh, light. It, you know, because Meg used to say to me all the time, she'd say, you know, the some of the problem with some collectors is that they, they have to have a such and such. And they don't realize that these guys had bad days. <laughs> you know? So they buy lesser works and they uh -huh. overpay for them. And she'd always say to me, I'd rather direct them to some artists that they haven't quite, you know, understood or heard of yet. Have them look at that for a long time and buy the best possible piece or representational of, of, of that, that they can from that artist. Much better. And the other thing that I have to say right away, which I don't, you know, is very important. I think one of the reasons our relationship blossomed in terms of the art part was I never walked around and said, how much is that Jackson Pollock worth? Never, ever talked about money. That was verboten. But I didn't, but we never discussed that I shouldn't talk about it. I think she loved the fact that I didn't care how much something cost <laughs> or what it went for. And she, and she went to all the, the Sotheby's and, and uh, Christie's auctions. She knew all about that stuff, but you know, it never came up. Do you like it? Do you love it? What would you go home with tonight? She would always say that to me at the gallery. She said, so which is the painting you'd want to go home with? <laughs> That's interesting. You know, I love that. Yeah. When, uh, so you brought up several points that I want to uh, address. First of all, um, I just want everyone who's listening to this podcast to know that you could walk into any gallery, any museum, any place that showed art, and Meg could go around and basically tell you who the artist was. And that to me was like breathtaking because I couldn't believe that there were people like that that was so involved in art that they actually knew, you know, 
who the creators were. So I was amazed by that. Well, but, I have to tell you, just you know, the first time we all went to a, a museum together in Miami and you came up to me and said, I can't believe it. Meg is like telling me what's on the label without even going up there. Right. And I just smiled. I said, that's why she does what she does. <laughs> you well, know, it didn't surprise yeah. me at all. It, I mean, there's one or two other people that I know that could do the same thing, but it just, I'm, I become so enthralled. And then I start looking at them like they're like, you know, a major Hollywood celebrity. And I can't even, I start to like hesitate and stutter when I speak to them because I'm like so amazed that somebody could do that. So I was, you know, enthralled with Meg. But again, you didn't really answer. I mean, uh, you know, uh, everyone gets someone to marry, you know, if they want to marry someone. But, I mean, being married to, you know, someone that really understood the world of art, didn't you feel that she was different than most other wives? Uh, yes. Yes. I mean, you well, could say I, no. I mean, you could easily say, that's my wife. You know, she could have been a major star actress, you know, on stage or, you know, in the, or in the movies. And some people say, no, that's my mommy or that's my daddy, you know. So tell us how that was, how, the, how you well, really felt well, about that. Well, you know, I, I think, I think, I think, I hope people will identify with the fact that I, you know, when I, I, Meg was, you know, she, she was brilliant, you know, and, and she was great at what she did. And, you know, she, it was like, I, maybe it could have been something else. It just happened to be art. You know, maybe I don't, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, it's hard to answer that. But I never once, I mean, was I intimidated by her brilliance, you know, in her field? Of course I was like, so, you know, but again, what, 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 you know, she, she was not an art snob. She wanted people to get out there and, 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 and love art and, and look at art. And that's why, and that, you know, kind of shaped our relationship. If I, if, you know, after a few dates, if if I had said, "What a bore! Who the who the, who the hell cares about this stuff?" <laughs> I, I, we wouldn't have been married for you know, mm-hmm. or together even for the forty-two or forty-seven years we were together. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, so that I, I don't know if it, it's a hard question to answer, but you well, know, you answered again, it. You just answered it beautifully. That's great. You know, another thing that you touched on, and I can't believe so early in my. Uh, podcasting of art career that you brought this up, which amazes me. Um, you know, when uh, Elliot and I got involved with art and we got involved very, very slowly over the years, very, very slowly. Um, but because we we're involved with a art group down here, it accelerated. However, um, we didn't know the things that you knew about what you could do to purchase a piece of art or how you deal in art, like you say, you would never have said to somebody, like, how much does that cost? You know, or, or talked about price. Well, I don't know how it happened, but everybody was so close in my group that I would ask about price all the time because I wanted to buy something. I would say, well, how much is that? And maybe I was offensive or I don't know what I was, but I certainly said that. So all I want to point out is that there are people like me that do things like that. No, no, that's different. You see, you yeah. are, you aren't married to one of the one of the right. renowned curators. Okay, right. I'm talking about being in a museum or seeing the Matisse Saint stained glass window in the villa. You know, right. in my mind, I knew that it was priceless and worth more than the villa, which was <laughs> pretty right. expensive too. 
And but I, I you know, I knew that this is like irreplaceable. Meg would but say I wanted, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But what I wanted to bring yeah, up. That's what was, I meant by that. Yeah. No, yeah. I appreciate it. But what I wanted to bring up was that. Most people do not know because it's not like somebody walks into an art gallery and they tell them the rules of engagement. However, I recently, after so many years, found out that the richest people on earth don't necessarily write a check. If something costs half a million, uh, three quarters of a million, or or, or one quarter of a million, or a hundred thousand, or twenty thousand, the richer the richer they are, the more terms that they ask. And I was I was like astonished when I found out about this through Gallerist because I don't know what happened, but a year or two ago, I think I got friendly with someone that said, "Oh, I'm going to pick up my art. I paid for it in four installments, so I'm going to get it now." And uh, after this, the Gallerist told this person, "You could take a piece of art when you want, and you could pay it out. I trust you." I was like, what? What? They do that? And yep. and then I spoke to the gallerist, and the gallerist said, Lois, do you think that every rich person comes in here and just opens up their wallet and credit card? No, 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 no. They're the toughest customers. They will, it's not, they don't necessarily do what we call a layaway plan, but they certainly will take a piece of art, like you said, put it on a wall and, uh, you know, and look at it, or they want it. And they just don't feel like, you know, cashing in some stock or 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 taking some of their cash that they took out of a bank that they have in their house and using it right now. So they'll just pay it out, you know, or now they Venmo it. And I'm like, what? That is what's yeah. done. And they said, this has been done since the beginning of time. And yeah. when I mentioned it to a few other people, it was like some of them looked at me like, don't tell others, and some of them said share that with others. So well, you know, very, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, you're you're right, and it's very. I remember, you know, when Meg represented Blanchette Rockefeller, she was the president of the Museum of Modern Art. Everybody in town knew Meg, not just Blanchette. <laughs> right. And Meg would go. Meg would get calls like when when Richard Diebenkorn had his big a big show at a gallery in New York. You know, Meg went there before the opening of of the show, and they know who Meg is, and they know who Mrs. Rockefeller, and they wanted Meg to have the first pick, right? Because they wanted it in Mrs. Rockefeller's, you know, the Deven Corner, Mrs. R's collection. So Meg would have this, uh, you know, she'd feel a little bit strange because, you know, Mrs. R never said how much is this going to be, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, the yeah, money I'm so was happy. no object. So, yeah, yeah. I'm so, so happy that you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. It, it, no, I just want to say that it is different. But, you know, the really good gallerists, you know, are, are you know, look at the, look at the person as a potential client for life. Not just, oh, ho, oh, huh, maybe they'll look at something or buy something or want something on approval or want to pay for it. I mean, you know, it, 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 there's definitely different levels. And, you know, back, you know, Three four hundred years ago, all the artists had patrons. You know, right. that's how they, they 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 did it. So, uh, you know, you know, it, it's a complicated thing, but it doesn't have to be complicated to to the to your listeners. That's my point. No, and 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 you know, you can't expect that if you never bought something from someone for them to trust you. But once you like pick a gallerist, 
you don't have to you don't have to pick anything. I mean, you could go to all these parties and never buy a thing. But once you become friendly with a gallerist and they know you, they're going to treat you very different than somebody that just walks in off the street. And even even an artist who sells from their own studio, you know, they're going to treat you differently. It's just human nature. That's what I wanted people to know. And I thank you for bringing that up because I probably would have forgot to bring that up to you during this discussion. But I really want people to know it's not exactly the way they think it is, you know, uh, uh, you know, big world, you know, in the world of art. People, humans are humans are humans, you yes. know, that's just the way it goes. So who are some of the famous artists that you ever met? I mean, you mentioned a few already, and if there w weren't more, that's fine. But if there are people that you know, I would just love to know about it. Well, I'm trying to think. Well, I, I met Chuck Close, the uh, uh, who did the uh, who did his own portrait. Uh, you know, he's a pretty well known painter in, in right. New York. Uh, I'm trying to think. There, uh, you know, John Chamberlain. Uh, uh, you know, this whose sculptures are in every major collection. Right. Uh, we we knew Gordon uh, Mata Clark. I I met Gordon's uh, 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 mother. In fact, we met in Paris at a dinner party. And Gordon's uh, mother, uh, well, Jackie Matisse Monnier, uh, a painter to uh, Matisse's granddaughter. Um, and yeah, it, it was just, you know, you're around. Malit Mata, for example, was married to the famous uh, surrealist Mata. And, you know, I walked into her dining room and we sat down for dinner and there was this huge canvas on the wall, uh, you know, and I went, whoa, you know, I had seen these kinds of things in museums. You know, I have to say that most of the artists that I really loved were Meg's period of 20th century art, modern art. Uh, you know, so most of these people were, were long gone. But, you know, when you met the younger people, you know, it was just, it was great. Because um, Meg knew Jean-Michel Basquiat. And, uh, and, that, and that was, I didn't get to meet Jean-Michel, but Meg, Meg knew him, you know. And uh, she said he could become one of the great, great, greatest American artists if he lives. He had a very fast life and he died very young as like a rock star. And, you know, and, and so I, I, it was more that I was around Meg who met all these people and rather than me. You know, she got to meet a few authors you know, through me, but that was mostly also through the art, art you know, the art um, uh, uh, circ circulatory system in East Hampton. When we when we had a house out there, you know, there was a great commingling of of artists and authors, and uh, we would get invited to these parties, and uh, there would be a, a, a number of luminaries there, and I would just say, "This is great," you know, I, I'm getting a contact high. <laughs> right, getting a contact high. That's a great yeah. way to put it. So, Doug, were most of these artists snobs, or were they down to earth? What were they like? No, 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 no. Sid Solomon, who was a contemporary of Jackson Pollock and de Kooning. Uh, I, I met, of course, uh, Willem de Kooning before he died because uh, we got lost in East Hampton and he was riding his bike and we stopped to ask him for directions. Oh, so, God. And Meg, Meg, yeah, Meg flipped out. She said, oh, my God, that was Willem de Kooning. And I go, OK. <laughs> that was so, so you know, that. that so yeah. What were they and like? Yeah. Oh, they, they like? You know, most of most of them are not, you know, they're not. Oh, God. Who else did we meet? Uh, a couple of uh, Julian Schnabel. Uh, uh, we met a couple, you know, the, a lot so of these Julian, people, All right, Julian Schnabel is a great case. I mean, if you're in a room with him at a party, is he like an elitist or, 
you know, no, or... No, 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 no. Most of the people, they, they kind of know who they are and they're regular people. You know, I told you, I, you know the story. I met Meryl Streep through her husband, Don Gummer, who was a sculptor. Right. And, and, and both of them, you know, had their, you know, they were like, we're just having dinner out with 15, 16 people, you know, at the gallery. They, they, they were remarkably um, normal. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, everybody has their tempers, they're this, they're that. You know, you right. try to do this privately so you're not a public spectacle. So, you know, I, you know, it was almost like most celebrities that I got to interview in my career. I only really met one or two really detestable people that I didn't want to be around. Uh, you know, a lot of them, you know, they're on their guard, they get it. Uh, but a lot of people are just like, let's, you know, if you were their publicist, they'd say, Lois. Doug and I are going to go for a walk. You're you're dismissed. Right. <laughs> they're, right. they're comfortable within themselves. And the artists that were at these parties, they've already had big careers. They're not worried about where their next painting, where their next show is going to be, or whether they're going to sell or not. So they're comfortable in their 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 own skin is the best way to put it. So I mean, if the people that have be, are the big the big egos are the ones that nobody's ever heard of that they feel should have heard of. <laughs> That's true. Who did you and Meg collect? Oh, okay. So the first thing I ever bought was a Miro print because I, I got a royalty check for a, uh, a, a work I had done. And I, the money was burning a hole in my pocket. And she took me to an art gallery and there was a Miro print there. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I was discreet. I said, could I see the price list? And then I said, wow, I could, I could afford this. And part of it was, I, I still have the piece. I really liked it. And I bought it because I was trying to show off to Meg that, you know, I already know something about art when I just really needed her approval. And uh, so a lot of them were, you know, uh, uh, so Miro was, was a big favorite. Um, we have uh, Desuvero drawings, the sculptor. We have Mark Desuvero drawings. We have uh, a number of photographs, an Andre Cortez photo. A, uh, um, you know, a, a um, we had the Diebenkorn for a while, and uh, we we sold that at one point. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the others. We really, you know, a lot of them were younger artists that um, that. Uh, did, did not have a name connection yet. Uh, our walls are lined with artists where I have to kind of look up and remember who it is that Meg said, oh, we have to have this. That's and wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. And, and that, that, that's what I loved a, a, a lot of, uh, more than her great taste. Because when you get around the curators and they're talking amongst themselves, you know, they're going like, the, the best compliment one curator can give another curator is he or she has a good eye. Okay, right, that's right. it. <laughs> you know, that's that's the long and short of that. So when Meg went around and she'd say like, "I want to collect," I, I, we got to, you know, we should get one of these pieces. And I'd say, "Well, okay, let's get it." And we would we would go home with it or have it sent home. And some of these painters, are, you know, had short careers. Some of them are still painting. Uh, Michelle Desterac, a French uh, artist, abstractionist. Uh, we've had several of those. Uh, we have a close friend, Stephanie Brody Letterman, who's a wonderful painter. Uh, and and uh, so there's, you know, the, it's it's loving the the individual pieces. You know that that's what you know. Do I, you know, do I really like this? This I can't emphasize that enough. That uh, you know, you start. You know, look, if you wanted to get all quote famous painters, it'd be very hard because then you have to go through 
you know, the status of, of we have a couple of Matisse prints that are bookstore prints. And I had them framed when we bought them. And uh, I, I had to say to people, I said, you could get this in a bookstore for $50. Okay? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, this is not right. a real lithograph. Right. Yeah. right, right. But everybody looks at it and they go, oh, that's spectacular. I go, yeah, you can do that too. Right. You can thumb through the, you know, we got this when we were in the south of France in Europe. And we had them uh, matted and sent home and framed. And, uh, you know, my son That's has one of them now. Yeah. yeah. And I always tell, I, I said, I said, Jake, you know, this isn't going to be worth a lot of money someday. He said, I don't care. I love it. That's, right. you know, his mo- mother would be, would love to have heard that. Okay. Right. Right. That that means she, she, div- she and, did and good. Jake has, she did yes, good. He, yeah. And he has good taste when he came back from Japan and sent me a picture. You know, first he sent me the photo. Would you like this? I said, yeah. And he bought it for me. And uh, and now he's got his own taste, which is great. That's the that's, whole point. That's the <laughs> whole point. Which brings me up to the next great question. And I'm so glad you led us to it. How and why should others take an interest in art? Is it for the investment or the art appreciation? And that's always a question I think about. Well, that's a tough one in the sense that, you know, Meg would, um, if somebody went up to Meg and said, who should I buy? That was the tip off that they were interested in investing. And I don't think Meg, Meg, you know, turned down those clients or fired them because they would, <laughs> Meg, I, you know, Meg would tell, tell me, she said, well, they don't take my advice. They pick me up in a limo. We go to these museums and galleries. I tell them that I, if this is their t- you know, after weeks of establishing their taste, she'd say, well, they'd say, well, I don't want to buy this one because I don't know if the price will go up. That was make signal to say you don't need me. <laughs> That's interesting. Tell us why. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you Tell don't need why. me. Tell us why. Well, because she said, uh, you're paying me all this money, the check's cash, but, you, but you're buying, every time I, I suggest this or that, you buy something else. Well, that's actually good. That's your taste. By saying you don't need me, I'm not being insulting. I'm saying you don't need an art curator. They wanted a private art curator because they thought it was prestigious. You see my point? And the difference is if you're buying stuff just for what you love, some of it may go up. Some of it may never go up. The first Miro I I bought, I bought two things on my own. Neither of them went up in value. You know, they they could have been in a a CD and made more money. Right, right. But that's not the point. That that's where that's why I get so excited when I talk about the difference. And you know, you have to learn so much to 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 know this is what I really like. And someday, maybe in twenty or thirty years, it'll appreciate in value, and I'll get tired of it, and I'll sell it and buy something else. It takes a long time to get to that level. And as you say, you know, you, you and Elliot have been, you know, you started out slow, you started collecting, you know, that, that's the way you really do it. Because if you, if you just now on the highest level there, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, the people that, that, that have huge collections and are buying and selling all the time. Yeah. They're probably saying, uh, you know, Steve Wynn, you know, had one of the greatest Picassos of all time and he was about to sell it. Somebody put their elbow through the canvas, had to right. be repaired. You know, the whole nine yards. I mean, I'm sure when Steve Steve Wynn overpaid for that, he didn't care because if he had it for three to five years, somebody else would overpay for it and he'd make money. That's a different thing. And I don't know, you know, Meg didn't really ascribe to that kind of client. 
you know, but, you know, let me give you another example, too. Um, there was a famous Hollywood, well, there was a famous Hollywood movie star that bought a lot of art. Um, and uh, Meg would see the pictures of the collections and say, wow, is he getting ripped off? And he said, <laughs> she'd say that. You, you know what? Uh, uh, six months later, the curator, the curator got sued by him and it made the New York Times. I don't want to say who. Anyway, no. but then, but then, you know, uh, uh, Rick Moranis, uh, whose kids went to school with my kids, he, he knew Steve Martin really well. And Meg once told me, she said, I heard Steve Martin has a great collection. And I said to Rick one day, I said, have you ever been to Steve's house in L.A.? He goes, yeah. I go, what about the art? And he goes, oh, yeah, he only has six or seven or eight pieces up on the wall, but they're all spectacular. And Meg said to me, yeah, that's why he's a collector. He has to read every catalog and learn everything he can about an artist before he makes his move and spends $8 million on a, on a painting. Right. Okay. So Meg's whole point was he didn't spend $8 million on a painting thinking that, Oh, in five years, it'll be worth $12 million. That's not how Steve Martin thought. Meg said, this guy's a collector. He's a serious collector. You know, it's not about the money. I, I may be skirting this question, but I, I'm trying to differentiate because they're, you know, and, and Meg would probably say he didn't need a curator either. He, he was self-taught. But right. you could do that. You know, I mean, there are certain people that, you know, the reason that Meg handled big collections for people that already had great collections, Meg said, you know, like, Mrs. Rockefeller, the greatest, the greatest client you could have. She'd send me out and say, oh, Meg, go buy what you think I, I would like, and then we'll look at it together. And she never sold anything. It all ended up in the Museum of Modern Art, you know. Well, that's, so, you that, know, that's also that, a deep pocket, so it's a different... You know, it is, but the yeah. point is that to make yeah. said my dream client is somebody right. who trusts me. That was right. her point. And right. you know, you get you're in a career of forty something years, so you have what, one or two of those? You know, I mean, that's maybe that's exactly. That's, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly you know the number I would suspect. You know, in the world of of of, Ubid, of the Ubid race. You know, so. Yeah, well, the other thing, too, is, you know, when she made the discovery of Pollock's floor, at, at, and I just want to point this out, uh, when she made that discovery in East Hampton, she was 36 or 37 years old. And that got a lot of publicity, you know, Vanity Fair, The Times, everybody was out there to do the story. And then, you know, a few years later, there's the movie. And uh, I all of a sudden, I thought, like, can you imagine being that age and having that burden to say, what am I going to do for my next act? Right. I, so wait a minute, before it, we like, go any further, and this so, probably will end this podcast, tell okay. everybody what that's all about, because you're alluding to something that I know it because I know you, but tell <laughs> the world what happened to Meg. Well, when Meg, you know, the, I'll try and make it as brief as possible. But when Don't Lee worry Krasner about it. Go ahead. Okay. When Lee Krasner died and uh, the, the, uh, the, her home, which was Jackson Pollock's house, uh, they had the barn, the studio there. When when they when they uh, when she passed away, she had no real direct heirs. So uh, the people handling her estate were the Stony Brook uh, Foundation. And when she read the article in the Star, she real you know it basically said you know that that this property will go into the state coffers at some point, uh, and uh, that's that. You know, there's no heirs to claim it. And Meg said, that would be terrible. You know, this is like, this is our history. This should be preserved. So she, she said, somebody should do something about this. And I looked at her. I gave her that evil eye. 
And she, you know, she said, what? And I said, well, somebody should do something about this. She sent her resume into Stony Brook and they said, well, you know, we only have one resume, yours, and you're going to have to fundraise your salary. It's a great idea. Meg founded the, 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 the house and study center in a year when, you know, when eventually she started ripping up the tiling on the floor and realized there was polished drippings. And she said, holy, holy shit. <laughs> you know, this right. is big. And then, you know, she called up her, uh, the, one of the top conservationists, which is a good friend of hers. And the whole, you know, restoration crew came up in their bunny suits and, and started, uh, you know, restoring the floor. And today it's been called an accidental masterpiece. Um, and, uh, it, it's, uh, and, and it's a national landmark. I mean, and Meg did that. That's epic. I, I mean, mean, she it, started it, it the is. ball rolling for that, you know? Right. So what, so, thought, what does that, so what does that look like? Uh, you know, try to give a visualization so everyone that's listening, they could look it up. But Oh, yeah. Well, if you, if you walk into how the big studio, is it? Well, yeah. Oh, it's, it's the barn floor. It's where, you know, he painted on the floor. So the dripping, you know, Meg said, this is the edges of, of his greatest pictures. You know, number one uh, and Autumn Rhythm, which are at the Met and the Modern. Uh, when you look at these huge canvases, they were on the floor there. So when you see the floor all splattered, you realize that even though it's not a painting, as Meg had said in all the media, she said it's not a painting, but it's like his easel. It shows you what he was thinking, how he was painting. And that that's like a huge discovery. I, I try to relate it to somebody who's an archaeologist and they're on a dig. And, you know, nobody's gotten anything. And all of a sudden they find this 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 relic from five centuries and they go, oh, my God, this could be a lost such and such. And that was, the you know, people, you know, people that are great in their careers, they spend their whole life and never make that kind of uh, impact or discovery. And, you know, Meg did that early on. And I just went, you know, I just went, holy mackerel, you know, this is just absolutely. You know, what are you going to do next? So right. that's that. that, that you know that that's that's what. It, so you Doug, know, how it how what did this look like? How big was it? Was it five by five or? Oh I mean, no no no! This is like a barn floor. This is like you know. So it's the whole by, floor that she. Oh, it's a what, whole floor. Oh, wait a second! Yeah. I have to ask you, what was over it that she just got? Was it carpeting? So there what were there were masonite yeah there were masonite tiles. There were masonite tiles that when when Lee wanted to take over the studio after Jackson died, she painted on easels. So she wanted the light from the studio and this and this, and and she just covered the floor with these masonite tiles. She, but she's like, an artist. You know, the, she's an artist. Didn't she realize what she was covering up? You know, that's the that's the you know when Lee died, nobody got to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh huh. But that would have been my question. You know, maybe you know she was trying to exorcise demons. We don't know. They had a if you anybody who's seen the movie or knew their relationship, it was complicated. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, and and fraught. But you know, the point is, Lee was a great painter as well. Right. So, and she wanted to make her own mark, and I think she wanted to say, "This is now my studio, not my husband's." Right. But okay. She, and, she didn't have yeah. to necessarily be mean about it. She just wanted her own space. It was time. Yeah. For well, her. you know, yeah. I, I, this is all Doug's third-hand speculation. You know, right. this is not right. gospel. I'm right. just trying to say, I wonder what Lee was thinking. You know, I'm sure Meg thought that, you know, the first, you know, Meg, you know, Meg did not, didn't get to meet Lee Krasner. Would have been right. great if she had, but, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't know she was around then. 
So, uh, yeah, it's all speculative. You know, you asked the, the, the million-dollar question in a way. You know, what was she thinking? And, you know, the, the thing is, maybe she told somebody, but I don't think anybody that she told really knows, you know, told anybody else. I don't yeah. know. <clears throat> That's amazing. Doug, this has been a complete pleasure. I couldn't, I couldn't have, if I had three, you know, famous art directors or creators for movies and everything, I couldn't have asked for a better podcast. This was just so wonderful. Thank you for being with us. I hope you will, you know, do this again with me. This was a dream come true. Well, no, for me, it's it's great because you let me blather on and you always ask really interesting questions that get me thinking. So, you know, that's what makes it cool, you know. Thank you, everyone, for, for joining us and we'll see you in the next podcast.